Welcome to Beyond the Shelf. I'm Scott Curry with Chef's Best. We gather to talk about the trends in marketing, retail, and production and food and beverage that are shaping the industry. We are joined today by entrepreneur Brian Tate. Brian is the founder and CEO of Oats Overnight, the world's first spoon-free, high-protein oats formula packed with certified gluten-free oats, clean protein, and superfoods for nutritious and convenient breakfast on the go. Prior to starting Oats Overnight, Brian was actually a professional poker player. We might talk about that a little bit, uh, of what he pulled forward from that experience into being a what's now a very successful entrepreneur with Oats Overnight. So, Brian, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. All right. So why, why don't you explain for viewers what Oats Overnight uh, is and, and while you're doing that, if you could share a little bit about how you came up with the concept and decided to, to charge ahead uh, in this new career and, and start a business. Yeah, of course. So Oats Overnight is uh, the first of its kind in that it's a high protein oatmeal that's ready when you wake up with simple nightly prep. So you just add a cup of milk to our shaker, throw a pack in, which contains proteins, uh, 12 different flavors of protein. Um, you refrigerate it overnight and it's ready to eat on the go when you wake, no spoon required. Uh, so it's sort of a whole food meal with the convenience of a meal replacement. Um, I was making a similar version to this homemade uh more general overnight oats uh, about six years ago. And I was playing poker at the time, as you mentioned, um, looking for nutritious options as I sat at the table for 12 hours a day. Um, and I really found this to be super convenient. Uh, love that you, it was ready when you wake up. So my atypical schedule uh, it fit really well with that. Um, and ultimately, I decided to make it a business. Amazing. And, and Oats Overnight has been kind of this rocket ship since you started the company, I think not even five years ago. And uh, an overnight success, perhaps, if you can pardon the terrible the terrible pun. Um, you know, when I think of in something overnight, and, and forgive me for this, Brian, because this is, I want to make it clear, not the truth. Uh, but when I think at first of making something overnight and it's sitting in the refrigerator and it being oatmeal, I... I I, 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 I picture something that's gotten a little bit lumpy. Um, how would, did you, without giving away any trade secrets or anything like that, how did you overcome that? Or am I just completely wrong that oatmeal can, you know, sit overnight? But um, how did you, was it just through your own experimentation? Uh, or is there something more to it? Or again, am I just completely off base? Um, because it is not in any way I have at it that it's not, you know, something that turns into a you know a thicker molasses or anything like that. It's highly drinkable. I, I think on your website you say give it, give it a few more shakes. Um, but was there a lengthy development process to f- you know finding the right formula uh, to be able to produce something that can hold a, a palatable consistency, if you will, overnight? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely a lot of production, a lot of development before launching um, traditional overnight oats. Uh, are spoonable. Um, so it's kind of like a parfait, traditionally put it in a mason jar, you know, maybe oats, choice of your milk with some fruits or sugar, cinnamon, whatever you'd like. Um, and it's pretty simple to make. Uh, what I found was I like to add the protein to it um, and it keeps you full longer when you digest protein with with the complex carbs from the oats and whole grains. Um, so I found a, some hybrid of a protein shake oatmeal to be the winning formula for my own needs. Um, and ultimately evolved that into what's now Oats Overnight. And and to be honest, we're still developing um, every day. So we have an active development program for new flavors that we include subscribers in. Uh, but we're also consistently looking at data and iterating on previous formulas that are in market. 
Yeah, and let, let's talk about that because it's really cool. You have, is it over twenty thousand subscribers? Is that correct? Uh, yeah, quite a quite a quite a ways over today. Yeah, which is it, it's a massive number. Um, when you think of subscription models, you have uh, hit the bullseye right there. How, how did you get to that number so fast? In what was for the most part a new product to the market? It, it, I'll admit, I was a little surprised by that number. I said, you know, you're doing the math here, and you're saying, okay. You hear a lot of companies in their third, fourth, fifth year. Um, you know, year one, if you will, is you know you're just getting getting it built, right? Just getting things off the ground. So that almost burns away. Um, and you start doing the math, and you're saying, "Wow, twenty thousand plus in again, let's call it three and a half years," because I'm just going to assume that first year you're you're kind of just trying to get to market. That's adding a lot per day. Uh, what, what do you attribute to that to? Was there, you know, a, a real market demand and need? Um, just phenomenal marketing. Um, how did you get such explosive growth? So yeah, it's a combination of a lot of things, and our team is is pretty large now. We have um, you know a lot of really talented people on board. It, it's it's a it's actually in, in a large way, some of the different features we've added recently, like we've three X our subscriber base in the last five months alone, um, primarily due to this, this flavor development program. So if you're a subscriber every month, you get a free pack of a flavor that's currently in development. Um, and then you get to give feedback on that flavor for a future product release. So it kind of allows us to, you know, almost like gamify flavors a bit, which, um, is something that I, I really enjoy with my previous career, um, and and it also, but also helps ultimately to build a better product. You know, customers love weighing in um, on flavors that they love or hate, um, and we take all types of feedback. Um, and so, so it just really connects customers to us. And ultimately, it comes down to acquisition, right? Like we're we're we have a pretty heavy uh, strategy on Facebook, Instagram, influencer, Google, YouTube. Um, and so we're acquiring a lot of customers that ultimately choose to subscribe because of the value props we offer, but also decreasing churn, you know, making sure they last longer. And that's through incentives like that um, development program that we offer. Yeah. And when you came up with that unique development program, was that was that something you envisioned from day one? Did, did you have as part of your vision, look, we're going to, well, it's not quite crowdsourced because you're coming up with the flavors, but... Uh, or was this something that you just decided to do at some point along the way? What was your thought process there? And how early on did you decide to um, really fully involve your customers in this way? Yeah, we've always wanted to, you know, we've always relied on customer feedback to make a product better. That's kind of a no brainer. And I think it's the big benefit of online companies today is they have access to that customer or in you know brick and mortar retail, they don't. Um, so it's harder to improve product and, and make decisions for, for future roadmap. But um, yeah, really from the beginning, you know, flavor development's been an interesting thing. I made the first few flavors in my kitchen um, and had a heavy part, kind of lead flavor development of like the next four or five. Um, but we have a team here, you know, it's a very involved team. We give everybody in the company equity of 70 employees. So it's a, it's a, it's a great kind of a focus group of, of people. Um, and we've had, you know, our, our head of e-commerce, show up with a flavor that he made nights and weekends and was like, try this. And it was great. And we launched it. Um, it was a seasonal flavor of gingerbread. So it's very like collaborative and, you know, there's no, um, you know, we kind of built this model for the, for the flavors and, you know, certainly trying new things and, you know, experimenting with different proteins and there's big implications on texture and things like that when you're, when you're messing around and, and certainly retention as it relates to, you know, sweetener use and, and things like that, that we've been exploring. Um, but at the end of the day, it's been very, uh, 
no, no real guardrails, I'll say, around flavor development. And so um, it was a no-brainer. The, the closer we can get to the customer's feedback, the better. And so when we would have all this work going in pre-launch and then waiting for customer feedback, you know, post-launch and then iterating from there, um, it made a lot of sense to just include them before the launch, right? And then make sure that it's the best flavor that it can be at the launch. Um, and so it was kind of a it was kind of a natural progression uh, toward that connectedness to customer. Sure. And so how does it work if I'm a customer? Uh, am I uh, am I surprised by it? Is it is it kind of that? You know, is it like a treasure when it shows up? And then what is it specifically that you're asking them to do? Yeah, so so not a lot of asks, but feedback's encouraged. Um, we we do so some customers are subscribe are surprised by it. We do advertise it on our website, but you know not not everybody reads the inserts in the website uh, before they place their order. So, but we do offer. Um, we have a VIP group that's private on Facebook, and a few thousand really highly engaged Oats Overnight customers in there. Um, we offer. We tell them the next month's flavor on the twenty fifth of the previous month. So. We're going to be announcing, and this will have aired by then, so it's fine. <laughs> We're going to announce raspberry cheesecake is going to be uh, May's flavored carrot cakes today's this month's flavor. Uh, so yeah, so as your box ships a monthly cadence, you just get a new flavor every month, and you'll get a survey in your inbox requesting feedback, totally optional. Uh, but we found that customers generally love to give their thoughts on every flavor. That's so cool. I have have I have to ask has. Have any customers said no? Not this one, <laughs> and it maybe saved you a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it's fun because what what we get to do is we get to really go off the rails there. Like carrot cake is a is a pretty wild one, honestly. Like there's you know like carrot pieces in it. You know, it's it's a pretty interesting cold oatmeal flavor, especially drinkable cold oatmeal flavor. It sounds a bit weird, but um, but yeah, we get a, we get a lot of really good feedback, and we get to explore. Uh, we essentially get to expose customers to more creativity. Um, we don't have to play it safe with this program, which I love. And, and ultimately we can kind of get the best of both worlds. You know, we get fun flavors and a lot of engagement, but aren't stuck, um, you know, with negative feedback at scale, (laughs) but we do get a lot of like internal discussion. A lot of people just hate some flavors. A lot of people love the same flavors. It's, it's really fun to follow along. Sure. And you have at my non-scientific evaluation of awesome nutrition label, uh, high protein, high fiber, low sugar. Uh, did you do any research into what people you know, want or need in the morning? Uh, of course, this did obviously grow out of you tinkering uh, in, in searching for uh, you know, meal replacements. As you, as you said, you're probably up in the morning early, stuck at the poker table for 12 hours. Um, what, what, what did you go through from a research standpoint uh, in order to, to generate what, what appears, again, to me in my non-scientific uh, mind, a very attractive nutrition label? Yeah, for sure. So like I, I, I was kind of obsessed with fitness and trying to figure out what works for me and what doesn't around that time. And um, just to get stamina and clarity at the table, because it's diet and exercise plays such a huge role in, in mental clarity. Um, so I was, I was landing on, you know, some combination of eggs and, you know, a protein shake or, you know, some combination of carbs and, and protein, um, found, found this shake to be perfect. Uh, the structure with the whole grain oats, it kept me full a lot longer. And we did a lot of research around, um, studies and looking for like the optimal macro makeup to keep you full, um, and did land on this. And we, we've shifted that even, I mean, it's very iterative. We started out with 24 and 26 grams of protein. Um, and we ended up pulling it back uh, just in an attempt to be a little more 
um, you know, a little more on par with, with what the average person is requiring for their diet. It started out more of a fitness product than what it is today, but it still does deliver, you know, near highest protein um, in the category. And who are you finding that's purchasing this product? 20,000 plus is obviously a huge number, but in general, who are you finding that's um, most attracted to this? Yeah, it, this is a kind of a classic lesson learned here early on. <clears throat> we, you know, we thought we knew the customer because I was making this for myself. I thought it would be a fitness enthusiast to, you know, counts, you know, counts their macros and, and is, you know, looking for that protein in the morning, maybe even like slamming this in the morning, working out and then having another breakfast. Um, it's very flexible. And to your point, it makes it really easy to know exactly how many calories you're getting. Uh, so it does help if weight loss is the goal. Um, but it can be added for a lot of different reasons. Our goal is definitely to answer your question, um, fitness enthusiasts, but we found shortly after launch, maybe four months in that those were our biggest critics. Uh, we found that, you know, generally fitness, like extreme fitness folk like to have, you know, some oats in their cupboard, some seeds, some protein, and the perception might be that they could just whip this up themselves for like half the price. Now, like we'd always encourage people to try that out because it does not work the same. But, uh, but, you know, we did find that um, your everyday consumer, um, we have a huge affinity with people that eat McDonald's in the morning, for example, um, a lot of overlap with like Walmart, Costco. Um, it's, it's very much, you know, 25 to 34, 35 to 44, um, you know, pretty, pretty everyday people. Um, and it makes sense, you know, everybody's it's such a chaotic world today and even more so this last year, but um, you know, everybody's juggling a busy morning schedule, juggling kids, juggling a job. Um, whether it's that or you like to hit snooze three more times, you know, it's overnight's there. I am all of those. Uh, maybe not the fitness enthusiast part, but a couple snooze buttons are uh, the, the way I operate. Where, where you mentioned last year, so you know, why not? Let's go there. Uh, were you nervous at all uh, in that? When everyone slowed down, right, um, a little less on the go, um, you know, uh, my family, we were we were making full breakfast, you know, <laughs> nowhere to be, nowhere to go. Um, were you nervous at all that w- what is a, a bit of a lifestyle product, you know, uh, something that, again, it's for people, particularly as you suggest, for people that are on the go and something to drink during the commute, I could see that. Um, did you get nervous at all when when everyone kind of slowed down and um, you know took did finally for a small period of time there have time for meal prep and um, you know just less on the go lifestyle? How did you how did you I guess what was your emotional state if you will and then how did you help navigate? Clearly your growth hasn't stopped, so what what do you attribute that to? Yeah, you know, um, it, it'd be impossible to say you know we weren't nervous. I think there's always some concern with uncertainty, you know, especially like in the market, um, and, and preferences, like we didn't know how this would impact, you know, food generally. I mean, our product is about three bucks. It's a healthy breakfast. So it's sort of a staple, but still it's a higher, slightly higher end consumer. Um, but you know, our, our products also highly iterative. And so on the marketing side and like the revenue side, um, we knew, we actually had different iterations already built, ready to go for like lower cost options or protein. Um, we're very, very, quick to respond there. Uh, we didn't end up pulling the trigger on those because we didn't see as much disruption. Um, but the big concerns that we had were operationally like manufacturing fulfillment. We have a team at that time, we had about 50 employees on site at our Tempe facility, um, manufacturing the product in our clean rooms and fulfilling the product out of our internal fulfillment center. And so, um, 
you know, dealing with employee safety and, and meeting demand and making sure everybody is generally just safe and comfortable more so, um, it was a huge concern. And so, you know, we had to enact, we, we split up shifts, we added separation to try to get six feet when possible, you know, in our fulfillment lines and our production lines. Um, and, you know, did, did everything we could, provided PPE and gave time off if anybody even had a, a runny nose, you know, full paid time off and did, you know, just trying to make it really comfortable for everybody. But, you know, a lot of disruption at the same time. I mean, less than others probably because we had so much control over the process and we were able to, you know, foresee that impact. Um, another big reason um, manufacturing is, is a big edge for us, I feel, because um, we can just forecast that in real time those changes, but it was, you know, it was a lot, that's really what kept me up at night was, you know, what happens if, you know, especially in like the early days, not knowing how serious it was or impactful it was. I mean, of course, very serious regardless, but um, when we were still kind of figuring out how contagious, how many people would be affected. Um, yeah, very tough times for sure, mostly operationally. Right, yeah. So, you know, what I think one of the fortunate uh, aspects of, of hosting a podcast is, you know, you just, you get to hear everyone's origin story, um, their past lives and everything like that. I have to admit when I was, you know, learning more about you and Oats overnight and I see, you know, f- former professional poker player for 12 years that this was a first for me. Uh, it's seeing. So I have to imagine what what a what a transition that must have been for you uh, you know the the professional poker player lifestyle ha- is almost as different as one could possibly imagine from being you know here you are now you're founder ceo i mean i think you you're still doing it all involved in the day-to-day business um what was that transition like and and what did you pull forward from uh what appeared to be a, a lengthy and, and successful career, but going from something that's so different, I imagine it's travel, as you said, probably practice 12 hours at a table, day after day. I'm sure you've had even longer sits than that. Um, how did you manage that very abrupt transition? Um, and I think as part of that question too, I'm curious, did you, was it a um, gradual transition, or did you kind of say, "All right, I'm done with that and moving on to this"? What was the what was all that like? Yeah, you know, poker poker was a really interesting experience, um, life experience. Really, I've learned so much from it. So many very unique, uh, I guess, skill sets and ways of thinking um, that that translate directly, and also some bad habits, especially around like team and organization. You know, poker is very siloed, so. Um, some of the negatives would be, you know, I've never managed before. I've never been managed before. And so a lot of this was learning totally from scratch, which, you know, as CEO, you know, arguably your number one job is to, is to, to build the team and the organization in a way that everybody's happy and and effective and, and, you know, really crushing it. So um, a lot of that learning from scratch was gradual, you know, like first couple of years were tough. Um, The one thing that poker gives you is, is, especially through that time is like an extreme self-awareness, you know, you're constantly choosing what games to play. And, um, if you have any ego whatsoever, like you're going to be broke <laughs> because, you know, if, to put it simply, like when you're playing, you might win a bunch of money at a small stakes game and you're like, oh, I'm the best in the world. You know, how are these guys any better than me? I win all the time. You move up stakes and you just lose. Um, you can attribute that to variance and, and say, oh, I just ran bad. I got unlucky. Um, and kind of keep that you know, and sometimes it is variance, but you know, you do it two or three more times, you start to realize, okay, they're just better than me. And now your job is to find out why they're better than you and how you can compete 
Um, and so poker is kind of like this constant leveling up, especially going from playing like pennies all the way to the biggest games in the world. It's like this constant leveling up and this self-awareness, like what do I need to do better this time? What do they do that I don't? Where's their edge? Um, how do I how do I compete on that level? Um, and so that translates so well to business and that, um, you know, you kind of have this mindset of like, I don't know what I don't know. And I, and I know that I need to, I need to learn more. Um, so aligning yourself with people that know, have done it before, um, you know, especially recently, I have a lot of great friends in the space that have helped, uh, help kind of guide that and, and also just been sounding boards for new ideas. Um, so it's been, a, it's been overall a really gradual transition. It's, it's been a great one. Um, largely because I think there's just more fulfillment here. Like I said, poker is very siloed and it was awesome competing at that level and, and working so hard for it. But at the end of the day, um, you know, there's, there's not much more room to grow at that point. And so I just couldn't picture myself at age 40, 50 years old, you know, sitting at a poker table. Um, I wanted to build something and, and it's overnight was just such a great next step. So I did kind of jump in. Um, I decided at an early stage, that it wouldn't make sense for me to try to do both, um, like try to play poker and try to you know, build this business. Um, so I really immersed myself in, in everything FDA, everything compliance, everything manufacturing, marketing um, and team and just looped in a lot of smart people from my network and, and hit the ground running. Hmm. I'd imagine you have intense focus to be able to do that. And I, I, I shudder at the thought of negotiating a contract with a former professional poker player as well, um, sitting there thinking, he knows what I'm thinking right now. I'm sure you have great instinct uh, in that that's translated to help you in the in business as well. Uh, you know, whenever we have an entrepreneur on, I, I, I like to ask this question. So I'm going to put you on the hot, speed, uh, the hot seat here. Uh, what do you wish that you had known? Or what would you tell your past self or any future person that's considering an entrepreneur? Um, kind of the biggest lessons or, or, or your biggest takeaways uh, from, from being an entrepreneur, having loads of success. Uh, what did you learn along the way or early that you really wish you had known uh, you know, when you started this venture? Uh, I think I've learned a lot about people through this period. Um, you know, I made a lot of mistakes early on. So like early on, I knew nobody in the food space, nobody in CPG, nobody in e-commerce. I just wasn't in that world. So I was pulling in people that I respected from my world, which was largely poker players or, you know, or friends um, that I, that I wanted to work with or, or thought might be good for the opportunity. And, you know, a lot of mistakes were made. I, I, I like learned a lot of these lessons through those relationships, sometimes good endings, sometimes bad endings. And I think that's, um, you know, there's never like regrets. I firmly believe like all that stuff's necessary and, you know, everybody has their path and their journey and you just, you know, all you can do is your best and you can't really look back. You just only, only to learn really, you know? Um, but yeah, but, but a lot, but a lot of, you know, a lot of rough endings and a lot of, you know, issues early on that now knowing what I know now, um, I probably could have either, you know, handled better or, um, saw more to the future, had a little more compassion with differences. Um, just, just a lot of learnings around that. So I've grown a lot as a person. I'd say, I'd say like, to, it's kind of a long way of saying I'd, I'd probably want to lean more on um, advisors if I could do it again. You know, a lot of these things are mistakes that have happened thousands of times over. And uh, I've I had this very, um, again, back to the style of mindset of poker, like I need to figure it out myself. I need to 
you know, learn this um, and just do a lot of like solo thinking and talking to other friends that, you know, have that same perspective outside the box. But now that I, now that I'm kind of in the mix and I have friends that have done this and are doing the same thing I'm doing and, you know, everybody's kind of fighting the same battles, even if you're in different different segments, um, just learns a lot of knowledge to glean from other people's mistakes and and discussion around that. And I and I I undervalued um, the roles of advisors. And I I also think I, I heard this somewhere, but um, advisors that have done it two or three years before you've done it instead of 20, I think have been, have been really powerful. Um, like there's definitely a time and a place for advisors that are, you know, retired and, you know, had great careers, but have been advising for the last 10, you know, or so years, um, you know, they bring a different type of wisdom and learning, but this, especially online, you know, the, the world's changing so fast and, and the, the strategies to kind of keep up with those changes and stay optimal are also changing and not everything's just intuitive or common sense. Um, and so people that have just done it are, have been most valuable to me. Love it. I've once heard someone say, you know, I've been doing marketing for 30 years and the reply was, well, 20 of those were completely irrelevant now. So you're, you're, uh, you need to argue the point, not just the experience, but, uh, well, it's a wonderful story. Um, we love it. Chef's best, you know, hearing these success stories, uh, particularly from people that are new to entrepreneurship as as you were obviously, you know, playing professional poker built a solid foundation for you. I think people see poker as something risky. I would probably argue that you're a great calculator of risk, uh, which has helped you make your decisions along the way. Uh, obviously, you can get it online. So let's go ahead and share that URL. It's oatsovernight.com. Uh, and I encourage people to follow you on social media as well. And at Facebook, it's Oats Overnight. And the same it is at Instagram, Oats Overnight. Is the product available at retail as well? Is that part of your strategy? Yeah, we just launched retail a few months ago with Wegman stores nationwide. So we're in 104 doors there, uh, mostly on the East Coast. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a new product you can find at Wegmans. Awesome. Got to ask, what's your favorite flavor? I'm, I'm loving the maple pancakes right now as far as the... Uh, fully available flavors, but um, some of these new ones are, are pretty amazing. Salted toffee was awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to congratulate you on its success. Um, and thanks for joining us. So I encourage people to check it out. Oatsovernight.com. Real easy to sign up for a subscription model. Uh, excited to hear that you're at retail as well. That's obviously a huge, um, it's good not call it a shift. It's just the progression of your strategy. And um I'm sure that you'll have equal amounts of success there as well. But as you said, you know, you're not going to have control. You're not going to have access to the consumer there as well. So uh, it's a little, little different approach and, um, you know, not the same retention strategy as well. So I'm sure that that'll be an exciting learning experience for you as well. So thanks very much for joining us, Brian. Again, it's Oats Overnight. Uh, check them out at OatsOvernight.com. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Shelf, presented by Chef's Best. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your episodes. For more details about all of our episodes from inside the ever-changing food and beverage industry, visit chefsbest.com.